Wow. Well, this really is everybody who's ever been on MTV, isn't it? <laughs> uh, wait a minute. If it's everyone who's ever been on MTV, how come we weren't invited? Yeah. Yeah, this sucks. They never liked us. I could always tell. It's like they were ashamed of us, and they never let us score. Damn it, Beavis, settle down. Maybe we can still get in. Let's, like, call them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, um, I need the number for MTV immediately. What? I don't know. Um, hey, Butthead, how do you spell MTV? Coming to you from beautiful upstate New York, this is the Slam Tilt Podcast, a show about all things pinball. I'm your host, Ron Hallett, here with the other host, Bruce Nightingale. Hello, hello. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And this is episode 212. And this is a very special episode, Bruce. Yes, very special. I think this is a new thing for us. I don't think we've done this yet. I don't think so either. But we have the crew here from American Pinball. And we're going to be talking Galactic Tank Force. Yes. Everything you'd ever want to know about the game. So we have, I have in my notes, uh, introduce yourselves, but I actually have a list here. And we'll see if I get everyone's name right. So we have Dennis Nordman on design. Paul Reno on design. Jack Hager, an art director. Christopher Franchi, the artist. And Steve Bowden on rules. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. So let's just start right off. Galactic Tank Force. How did this come about? Why tanks? Why tanks? So this is Dennis, so I'll try to answer that as much as I can remember, because Paul and I started this project a long time ago, but I wanted to do a unique-looking pinball cabinet. I, I did one with Woe Nelly, and... Um, I just think pinball cabinets in general are very unattractive. That's why they fill them up with artwork to make them look better. I wanted to do something that looked interesting when it was closed up, something interesting for people's game rooms. A lot of people have cool stuff in their game rooms, gas pumps and jukeboxes. I uh, wanted to do some 50s sci-fi kind of rocket ship, but I soon realized with all the curvilinear forms that that would require work in fiberglass, and I didn't want to deal with that. So I remembered in my tin toy picture collection on the Internet that there, in the 50s there were these toys called tin toys called space tanks. And mostly what they were was redecorated tin toy tanks from the war, and they were just decorated with space graphics. But they had a lot of flat surfaces much easier to adapt to a pinball game. So that's how the tank cabinet got started. Plus, I, I just love the colorful design of all of these space tanks. And Chris, of course, took a plain wood cabinet and made it beautiful with all of his graphics. But that's how the tank itself came about. Then the play field, I, I think I started it. Then I invited Paul Reno in to help me build it and wire it and design it. And Paul, you can comment if you want, if my memory is incorrect on that. Sounds correct so far. Okay. So we worked on it on and off for a number of years. Anyway, that's why space tanks. 
Okay, so you, you're going to go with tanks. So looking at the play field, how, how did that come about? Like basically you have the tank directly in front of the player. Yeah, well, if we have a, a game with cabinet that looks like a tank, I think Paul was involved at this point, but we assumed that you would need to battle a tank. And my first initial thought with the game rules was to make it like Buck Hunter, the video game. I had one in my office because I had started on Buck Hunter, the pinball game, before I got laid off from Stern. But I loved that game because it kept me coming back because I wanted to shoot every animal with a headshot, and that was very difficult to do. So we have the same thing in the tank that's right there in front of the player, is that you can, you can kill a tank by wounding it two or three times, and then finally you can kill it. Or you can kill it with one direct, one direct shot if you hit the red target first, and that would lead you to a better wizard mode than just by killing the tank with a lot of shots. So my thought was that'll keep players coming back just like Buck Hunter did. And then you have the swinging target that has a cow on it. Yeah, of course, if you have a, a space game, you've got to have a UFO, and it's got to have a cow under it. So, yeah, where, where did that whole idea come about? Because it, it, at some point, it looks like the idea was to make this as very campy, as camp as, as possible. Like, we have cows, we have ice cream. Well, ice, ice cream you can blame on Jack. Jack, Jack is the one that, that went off in that direction, which, which I thought was funny. It made the game less violent and more humorous. And, uh, I mean, it's a war over ice cream, so it's, it's not that bad of a war but the swinging so we had the swinging we had the swinging target and at some point i stuck a ufo on top of it like it was a ufo swinging back and forth and then i found these miniature cows so i stuck one of those on there so where did the whole concept of the story of the game because you have a bunch of different characters in the game that are that represented on the, the video clips. There's a lot, lot of video assets, and they're actually on, like the actual actors who play the roles are on the artwork, they're on the, the back glass. Jack is the guy to talk to about that. Jack was the creative genius that came up with that whole storyline. Jack just left for a pizza, I think. He was here a minute ago, <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you know when he's back. Um, no, this is, this is Jack, and uh, guilty is charged, and uh, I'm not going to let Dennis off that easy. Uh, he and Paul had uh, gave us a tremendous amount of inspiration starting this game. My background was with Midway Games for many, many years, So, and, that, and I, that's actually where I met Dennis and uh, Greg Freris and Python Angelo, several other people, the Ritchie brothers because the video department was just downstairs from the pinball department. So we would um, intermingle and, and uh, you know, co-inspire each other on projects and everything. So I was very much involved at Midway with video coming into arcade games. So starting with NARC, which then led to games uh, like, you know, Mortal Kombat, the Mortal Kombat franchise, NBA Jam, NHL Open Ice, anything that used 2D digitization and putting him into games. I was uh, pretty much spearheading that at Midway early on. 
Let me interrupt for one second, Jack. Jack is the guy that sculpted the Skull Mountain for Elvira and the Party Monsters. That is true. And uh, so if you can pick one of those up, I'll be happy to sign it for you if you ever see me at a trade show someday. So like Dennis said, you know, Dennis showed up and he had, he had showed me the tank game a, a few years prior to my starting at American. But uh, when I came in, we had, we were finishing up um, Hot Wheels and Legends of Valhalla. I was involved in just making sure that those guys got everything they needed to produce their game. And then Dennis brought in uh, his tank prototype with Paul and it was phenomenal. It was my first time seeing it in person and just it, everything was just as Dennis described it. So there was, you know, the tank in the middle of the play field. There was the cow hanging from a UFO. There was the planet on the back wall with the three rings. And then he had this great concept artwork from John Yowsey from years earlier that John took a stab at it and really kind of fostered the whole 1950s pulp science fiction look at that time. So I just kind of looked at the things and part of my job was, you know, I also wrote games and I, and I wrote dialogue and, and worked with actors, live actors a lot. And, uh, just seeing the cow, uh, just, <laughs> just the way I think it just really inspired what comes out of cows, what cows make milk, but what's even cooler than milk. Well, ice cream. Oh my God. Everybody loves ice cream. And the, the planet on the back wall is what, through the whole thing in the outer space because it's like, well, this play field is, must be taking place somewhere that's not Earth. And uh, why do they have a cow on this moon? And I just thought, well, maybe it's like a, a research base. That's kind of cool. And maybe there's something special about the planet. And it was just thrown out. Um, and I just kind of wanted to see how people would respond to it. And um, you could definitely immediately definitely could have immediately taken steps to make the game more aggressive or more military. And we decided not to almost immediately. And I'm sure there's, you know, any number of opinions about that, but we thought, no, it, it, Dennis really uh, enjoyed kind of reaching for the campiness of 1950s pulp entertainment and so on and so forth. And uh, the ice cream was just a, just a little element that I thought, well, that could exist in this story. Let's see how that works. And then Dennis had some character ideas. So he had the idea for a heroine, uh, a female heroine in the game who ended up becoming Captain Cayenne. And uh, she would be driving uh, a similar tank and uh, in, in giving you advice potentially that kind of developed and grew. And then there might be a male hero character. That's where Duke Moonwalker came in. And a lot of these names, you know, were, uh, came either from, from also from Dennis or from David Fix or a group of people might go, Hey, what if we use this name or whatever? Dennis came up with the name of Cap of, uh, Cayenne for Captain Cayenne. And I just changed and that helped that helped direct the design a bit too. So that's why she has flaming red hair. And then to contrast with the hair, the blue outfit is really, looks really nice on the sketches I was doing. And uh, which then kind of then led to the design of Duke's outfit as well. And them being sort of like the blue, the blue outfits. 
And then we had to have somebody uh, responsible for the ice cream or somebody who was driving the ice cream processing. And that's where Professor Plotnik comes in. And somebody from England actually asked me if I was, uh, if I intentionally gave him that name. Because in England, if you said that somebody was a Plotnik, like to nick something in England means to steal. So this guy steals the plot. And, and, I, and, and it wasn't intentional. I, I just thought, no, Plotnik's a good name. And um, so that's where Professor Plotnik came from. And I can go more into the characters later, but that's essentially how that stuff came up. And I just tried to keep bouncing things off of Dennis. And and we didn't always agree, you know, that, that is this is this what you want or should we go for this? But I think in the end, I think there I I I hope that that by now he sees my madness that there there I did have a design for it and hopefully the payoff was just entertainment. We just wanted to entertain people and make something quirky enough that would bring them back and hopefully invite younger players and families into the game as well. Jack added a lot of interesting details. He probably made thousands and thousands of sketches for each little detail in the game. One thing that I thought was great that he did was he wanted to put some kind of a design on the UFO and I was just thinking military-looking kind of stuff. Jack came up with the idea of doing a crop circle design on top of the UFO. So that's where crop circles come from. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Dennis. But as all this comes together and as we, you know, I I feel like I just sort of put up the the rough uh, carpentry for this structure. But then having Chris Franchi come in and then really put a polish and a cohesiveness on everything was just uh, wonderful and, uh, you know, really showed. And and consistently, everybody loves the artwork, um, the cabinet artwork on Galactic Tank Force. And I say cabinet artwork specifically because there are separate artists who do the video artwork, and I want to comment on them um, as we as we move on. But the work that Chris did really brought really brought it all together and gave it just a great polish. And and he brought his own inventiveness and his own creativity into the process, too, that just put it over the top as far as I was concerned. So, Mr. Franchi, walk us through your creative process here. You come in, you see as we're doing 50 sci-fi. Um, my creative process? Well, it was mostly, I mean, you know, Jack really had everything nailed down when I got there. So I was just really kind of polishing some things out the, like the, uh, the characters, the, uh, you know, the costumes that were made weren't, um, you know, they had a certain budget to work with. And I felt like as far as artwork goes, I could, you know, blow that up a little bit, you know, you know, add little trim and little pieces on the outfit and all that, that aren't necessarily there that you're not really going to notice or missing but it just kind of helps with the artwork and um you know but but really everything was was laid out i didn't really have to create anything i think i i think i did the logo which was really based on something jack had already done and i just sort of played with it a bit but uh you know as, as far as the creation of this stuff goes uh jack gets all the credit for that i just really just rendered it yeah, but, you know, 
when an artist is given subject matter and their their way of interpreting it is how it's transformed and things happen <laughs> with the backlash and then oh my god then the 3d backlash the lenticular backlash and the way the lighting of plays against chris's artwork all over the cabinet especially around the monitor display um, i don't know anybody who doesn't go nuts over that and all of the details in that that's totally chris franchi and uh, we were you know really really fortunate to have chris on the project that's that's for darn sure well it was you know it, it was fun to do that because you know jack jack allowed for a lot of looseness on this stuff and usually when you come when i come in I'm, I'm working on a you know guardians of the galaxy or beetles or something that's already created and you can't really steer away from that you can kind of you know create a, a certain vibe but th that's really it but with galactic tank force you know this stuff was all just being created and uh you know jack you know allowed for a freedom in, in certain areas and all that which was really fun so you know, I, I suppose I did add, you know, some things here and there, but, uh, you know, it was, it was what the, the project, you know, dictated and, and, and how Jack, you know, handled running the process of these things, you know, coming together. So early on, it, it sounds like there was a decision made, we were going to have the cabinet that looked like a tank. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't, <laughs> that was the, that was literally the elephant in the room. I mean, it, it was, it was here. The prototype was here. And the prototype was was beautiful too. Every every version of this that Dennis worked on was amazing and beautiful. Paul helped me build that prototype. We built the cabinet. We painted it. My stepson made some graphics for it. Paul helped me wire the playfield and came up with some some great playfield ideas. I, I, the mirror in the back and the planet, I think, was Paul's idea. And, and putting the mirror behind it made it look like a real three-dimensional planet yeah and the tank you know as far as far as putting the tank uh together uh, as dennis said his son did some some graphics you know some pretty basic stuff just to put on there but that was really the inspiration for what i did between that and you know dennis and i both share a love for old tin space toys so i had books laying around and we actually have the same books yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I just did some research and, and um, you know, I'm very familiar with the tin litho process. So I knew, you know, making this cabinet, certain graphics are going to have to be very flat, very two-dimensional, solid colors. And then things like the rockets have more dimension to it because they're supposed to be mounted, you know, real three-dimensional rockets mounted on the side of the, of the spaceship. So, uh, and, and then, of course, the tin, you know, Rather than just go really flat with it, um, I made it look more like it was a life-size tank. So there was some rippling in the sheet metal and rivets and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was basically a conversation I had with, with Dennis and, and looking at what uh, his son had done. And that's what, uh, between the design of the cabinet and applying that style of artwork, that's what really brought, the, brought everything together. So the cabinet was designed... As a limited edition, I knew not everybody would want to buy that cabinet. I didn't expect them to, especially I didn't expect arcades to buy it because it just looks cool when it's closed up. So I just thought it was a special thing that some people might want. Like a lot of people buy SUVs, but General Motors still makes a Corvette for the special people that want it. But an interesting thing about that cabinet, 
uh, some of the LEs that have been put into some of the arcades and FPCs so far, the game is earning fantastic in getting customers that normally don't stop and play a pinball because those big light-up tank treads and everything, it catches their eye. It's something like they've never seen before, so kids are drawn to it and are giving it a try. Okay, so if I walk up to Galactic Tank Force, what is the story? What, what am I going for? This is me trying to get Steve into it here. Like, what's, what's the story of Galactic Tank Force? You said, what's the story, and then what are you going for? That's two completely different... Two different things? <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the story, you've got, you've, got, you've got a tank that's sitting there dangerously threatening you, staring right at you, saying, hit me, hit me, hit me, right? And so what the first thing the player learns when they get up there is how dangerous the tank is. One of the things that was uh, really fun about this past weekend, I mean, I guess not to put a time on the show, uh, uh, not to date the show, but this past weekend we had the, the Beast Tournament where Galactic Tank Force was available for play and also for tutorials, as was, which happened during the competition. A bunch of players sought me out and said, I want to play the tank game. Please tell me a little bit of how to play it. So... Of course I will. So me being a teacher, I know the scaffolding technique. I just give them a little bit that they can handle until they want a little more. And so that first little bit is, welcome, this is a tank. It is very dangerous. You see how dangerous it is. Let me show you about how to one-hit kill this tank. And then they go, wait, what? You know, oh, okay. And so and so, you know, I give them a little story of what the methane means and how methane is used to power our weapons and how you need to get some more methane using certain shots and then they see the tank get let's say weaker and then oh i can actually one hit kill this tank and it's an exciting feeling for them i just, just seeing it live just, oh okay now this tank doesn't seem quite as dangerous as it did five minutes ago even though it's still dangerous and then I'll use them, use use that to um, show them how they can really turn the tables on this dangerous-looking tank that's sitting in the middle, and really turn the tables toward toward the player instead of against them. Then that's what really gets them into the other features of the game. And then this, it was it's it's fun to see certain things on this game just happen to them, like the meltdown and explaining what the meltdown is, and explaining what the multiball is, and 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 seeing the uh, special guests that show up as pilots in it. And say, is that you in there? Yeah, that's me in there for a couple seconds. Yeah, that was that was good to do that. That was fun. So. Um, but it's, I mean, the story is just overall wacky fun as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad it is as strange as it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a great way to just get people into the game. And it's, it really draws even the, the tank version, the deluxe version without the tank uh, attachments. It, it's, it really draws people over just in the way it looks. And the fact is, there's a giant tank sitting there that they can just bash on. It is the bash target of all bash targets. But then as soon as they hit it, they go, okay, I have to do something else because this thing is destroying me. And that's what gets them started. And I actually didn't realize the tank had a robot in it. Mm -hmm. It's a surprise. It's a surprise inside. It pops up. <laughs> it's a surprise inside. And then you see, it's like, who's this guy? And why is he so hard to defeat? It's like, yes, he is. You've made it this far because you've proven you're a bit of a player. So we've got to give you a little bit of a challenge. Okay. So... We have the game, and then we have the story. So at what, what point did you, you casted some actors for these different roles, these different characters that you came up with? 
and did a lot of filming. So what was involved in all that? Because if anyone's played the game, there's a lot of cutscenes and a lot of video assets yes. for all these characters talk to you. Oh, uh, Jack? <laughs> I think that's Jack was the captain. <laughs> I, oops, sorry, I was muted. See, I and I was warned, don't put your mic on mute because you're going to forget it from me. So you guys just missed the best part. I was I like, where's the genius? The where's thing. Jack? He's a genius uh, so, on this. Yeah. So the, the, there is a pretty efficient story that goes with the game, but understanding Dennis's version in view of the game where he wants players to walk right up and start playing. We don't want to burden the player with having to sit through a movie or a narrative, but basically the narrative is you've, you are a, a rookie tank pilot. You've been assigned to this obscure moon that orbits this planet called Lumina in the Namdron galaxy. And for you kids at home, that's Nordman spelled backwards, but it sounds perfect. And you're just assigned to this very quiet base. And they're and all they're doing is researching and making this incredible zero gravity ice cream on this moon. Nothing ever happens there. And within a certain, it's br very brief amount of time. All of a sudden, an, an alien tank shows up, and everybody is uh, besides him. So, like, what is this thing? Where to come from? You're the only one who can save us, and that's how the game starts. So that's pretty much the essence of the story. Now, as far as looking for uh, for characters and whatnot, you know. Like I said, I've been doing this for a while at Midway and everything, and we would we we do audition actors. We bring in different people. We try different takes on it, and for one reason or another, these are the four actors that ended up being the character. And uh, I'll start with Captain Cayenne. She's an actress out of Seattle, Washington, named Clementine Morefoot, and her day job is doing cosplay stuff she has she has a huge online presence and she has a huge fan base and i had seen her in a video for a chicago comic-con and that's why i assumed she was from the chicago area but it turned out she was visiting a friend but i got in touch with um, clementine anyway she auditioned for us and uh really got the character right away and uh, just visually is uh, just stunning. And she really uh, suits the vibe that we wanted for Captain Cayenne. You know, she's very helpful. She's very knowledgeable. And she has that nice retro 50s look about her, too. Professor Plotnick is very interesting. He's actually a pretty major Chicago celebrity by the name of Jeff Hoover. And Jeff Hoover is the head producer of WGN television in Chicago for the morning news program. And that sounds very stuffy and kind of like a serious role. But I've known Jeff Hoover on television for many, many years. And anytime they do a skit, or something funny, or they want the newscasters to dress up in costumes. That's Jeff's Jeff Hoover's bit. And he does, and he's known for doing all kinds of crazy and wild characters. So I had a friend who uh, knew Jeff and got me in touch with him. And uh, he came in and I explained what we were doing. And Jeff pretty much defined Professor Plotnick on his own. I had some costume elements, but he came up with sort of the, the German accent thing, and he loves ice cream, and a lot of the 
the side jokes are all Jeff's, but we had to write, we, you know, wrote some hopefully humorous stuff. And then Duke Moonwalker, I think Dennis came up with that name. He's the the hero that commands the space station that floats above the moon of Lumina and lets you know what's going on. And but he's sort of not really all together. He he's he's always like a few minutes behind of what's really going on. So you're already being attacked by tanks before he realizes it, or spy bots, the flying vehicles. So Duke Moonwalker appears in the video monitor and he gives you instruction and help and so on and so forth. And then the person that's the arch villain, the arch enemy that's responsible for all of this stuff coming down on you is Empress Anoya. And Empress Anoya is portrayed by a local Chicago celebrity now, um, Carrie Hoskins Revis, her full name is. And Carrie is best known to video game players as Sonya in the Mortal Kombat series. So she came on early on. Actually, I found Carrie many, many years ago. Well, I don't want to say too many many's. A few years ago when I was at Midway and we were working on NBA Jam. And I needed some cheerleaders for the game designers of that game. And uh, I had a friend that I had worked with who uh, recommended her, gave me her number, and she called me that day. And and uh, we've had a great friendship ever since then. And she's, she appeared in several Midway games, and she really hit it out of the park, I think, in uh, Galactic Tank Force because she finally got to be an evil character. She's usually a nice character fighting for justice and, and all that kind of stuff. But here she really gets to play up the whole evil kind of stuff. And she really does a, a great job overacting. Yes. Lots of overacting. That's <laughs> great. And I say that with love. I mean, all of them, they all do. They all do. And we, I know early on there were some comments and people like, why does this seem like middle-aged teachers doing this or whatever. I, I can't remember all of the takes. And yeah, yeah, I read Pinside. Um, it, it's okay. I just, okay, that's what some people think. But we intentionally wanted some of the lines to fall kind of flat or the jokes to be not that great. Like as people call them, you know, for them as dad jokes and all that. So you could have a good time playing the game in your home with your kids or or grandkids or whatever and and just enjoy the campiness of the humor and the overacting and uh that was all intentional what were some challenges with the game i would assume not everything goes perfectly like maybe a mech didn't work the way you'd like it to you couldn't get something maybe a shot quite the way you wanted to or you had to change some stuff up uh, the shots, we had uh, worked on the game for a long time, Paul and I, so the shots were pretty well refined. And the first tank mechanism that we did, the first prototype, it worked fine. We didn't have any problems with it. So that came along later with uh, probably from the kind of material some of the vendors used, I guess. But Nobody in the company saw any kind of air balls or anything while we were developing the game. I don't know why that happened. And so the air balls, uh, yeah, and there was a fix. It's like a shield that goes over the um, targets. A shield. Well, the first thing we did was put that save it post between the flippers. Because I, I, see, I hated seeing you smack the hell out of the tank and the ball would 
shoot right down between the flippers. And so that was a problem area. The arrangement of the targets in front of the tank, I tried several different arrangements. I tried a semicircle the other direction. I tried straight across. I tried a lot of different things, and I, I ended up with that semicircle that we have trying to direct the ball back towards the flippers. And it worked on paper. <laughs> but, of course, with ball speed and ball spin, you can't really control that. You know, when you draw a lot, when you draw lines on your computer, yeah, okay, that ball will never go down the middle. But <laughs> damn kinetic energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we put that ball saver post in, and that post, whenever a tank target is hit, that post pops up just for a few seconds to save the ball from going down the drain if the ball goes towards that area. But so now we've added a shield on top of the targets, which really helps deflect the air balls. Yeah, I will say I played it just this weekend, and it had the shield, and I, I did not get a single air ball. Neither good. did I. Very good. Now, I have a couple questions. How long did it take the actual the video assets to be recorded? Was it like a couple weekends, or was it a month or two months? You know, how, how many takes did you have to do? Well, yeah, it's it was tough because we didn't have all of the actors lined up in the same month. I think there was the the first uh, month in November of 21, I think it was, we had our first test. And uh, in the case of Clementine, she had to fly in from uh, Seattle. So we had limited time with her. So not only did she have to do all of her acting, but her costume had to be built by hand while she was here. These weren't off the shelf or from costume stores. In her case, in Duke's case, and in uh, Empress Anoya's case, they were all made by hand by a very skilled costumer uh, we had, who was a friend of mine from Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas. And she came out with her sewing machine and just did miracles with uh, stretchy fabric. So... We never really had all of the actors at one time. There there was a time where Clementine and Empress Anoya were in front of the camera together, and we did have some scenes that we wanted them to interact for team play, and they did. We filmed that. But uh, later on, months later, Jeff Hoover came in for Professor Plotnick, and then we brought in Carrie again because she's local, so he could interact with Empress Anoya on a few things. And then the guy who played Duke Moonwalker, Mitch Pollitt, he was a local actor who then almost instantly got picked up by somebody in Hollywood, had to go out to Hollywood for a, a bit. But he did do some filming for us first, but he came back later. So at least with the local actors, still to not too long ago, they would come back and do pickup pieces that like, oh, we forgot to do this or we wanted, this is something we'd like to add to the game. So um, we've been very fortunate to have access uh, for everybody. I do want to mention, you know, when you do talk about video, the artists uh, that I work with that are part of our team, a key part of our team, Jessica Durbala and Bobby Larissa. And uh, Jessica came from Columbia College in Chicago and had just graduated and did so much uh, work on video processing, 
on helping filming the actors, on doing effects and modeling and, and whatnot. Just an amazing job and continues to to this day and uh, has added just a lot of really valuable input, input from her perspective. Bobby Larissa, I had worked with a team play which is an uh, an arcade and amusement company. Uh, I had worked with Bobby for many years and at a couple other places too. And he's a really, really good quality 3D uh, modeler and animator. So Bobby also helped design things like the robot. So Bobby actually helped create the files that led to the physical toys in the game. So he helped us out in more than just video. So the video process, yeah, the, the lines, I can't give you an exact accounting of how many lines we created, but we did have to really think about an overall storyline, a momentum for the game, which does exist. As Steven said, as you go up the ladder, the momentum occurs and you and you discover things and you open different features and the characters will respond differently because now, you, oh, you're doing this thing now. So hopefully as people have the game, explore the game, they will find and unopen a lot of these extra lines and, and uh, funny situations that you find the characters in. Humongous storyboard. <laughs> yeah, apparently it was a first of its kind, I should say. If David Fix was here, he would be doing his P.T. Barnum bit to sell you <laughs> how, how great a novel this is. But it's true. So, no, no, you know, sort of wisely, nobody had a, attempted to do this yet because it is, a, you know, a bit of a, a, uh, a never-ending ladder of videos and like, oh my God, if we do this, then we have to have one that does this and this and this, but we managed it and we have a great, great team. And I'm grateful to everybody who's been on this project uh, from the outset who helped me make this game the best it could be. Steve, how far are the rules in your mind? And you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> uh, well, if you're if you're going if you're going for a hard percentage, I'm not going to give that because that's a moving target. Of that course, it's foolish. But, <laughs> but I know you're giving. It's some a moving sort of, target with a cow on it. That's yes, like, with a cow yes. on it. <laughs> that's like saying version 1.0 is. No, I don't want to ever say that. I hate that saying. I, I hate, hate that. I hate that too. But how do you feel? You know, you feel like they're coming along well, and you you oh, you're oh, probably. Yeah, just, it's come along very well. Okay. Um, it, it's uh, I I believe, and uh, I'm just. Saying, look forward to getting to the end. That's all I'll say. It. <laughs> look, look, look forward to getting to uh, uh, the the ending of uh, of this game. But yeah, there's a there was a, a lot to the implementation of this, and I definitely want to say that first off, I'm grateful to Casey Butler and Joe Schober, the software team, who are and continue to be essential regarding rules and rules implementation. And also special respect to Casey for some for, for his, uh, some of his lighting techniques that he did in this game. There was definitely some uh, separate comments that I've had from people in places I've been who talk about the lighting on this game. And oh, Casey's light shows were great, right? I mean, they are very, very good, very attention getting, getting, and very helpful for this. So uh, yeah, very, very grateful to have been you know a part of uh, refining this game and having it come out and people enjoy it. No, it's a it's a very fun game. It's actually it it reminds me of a fifties movie, truly, where you have you know it's almost like the Blob, you know, or that kind of stuff. You know, you have the hokiness, and but it it's a fun hokiness. It's not like a bad like oh. 
The Blob was a very serious movie, Bruce. Oh, The Blob was bad. <laughs> it had Steve right. McQueen in it. Right. It's a very serious film. When you go campy, go all the way. Go all the way when you go campy. It's enjoyable. I loved it. I actually was like, wow, it's shot great. I knew what I was doing almost right away. I was like, okay, blinking shots work great. I was very happy. And when I watched Ron and you guys play it, I was like, wow, you guys are really blowing it up. So, Steve, you're, you're saying that we probably haven't seen all those clips yet. That is certainly correct, okay. sir. You have not seen all the clips yet. <laughs> I wanted a game that when you walked up to it, you knew exactly what you're supposed to do. A, a lot of games today, you have no idea what you're supposed to do. But you walk up to Tank Force and you know, oh, I got to hit that tank and I got to hit that UFO. How about the music? We haven't got into that at all. The the the, the sound package now. When I first played it, I, I kept hearing everyone saying it was, what is it called, dubstep? I don't think I'm even saying it right. Is it dubstep? It's, 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 yes, dubstep. I don't even know what that is right? or what that means. But, but people were wondering, like, why doesn't it have like a, a, sound like a 50s movie? Here's why. First of all, when, when, I, when I started with the dubstep, this was years ago before people really knew what dubstep was. So it sounded fresh and unique. And it was my thought, this takes place in a different universe, in a different time, and their music is different. Their music is something that we haven't heard a lot of. So that's why I like the dubstep in the game. And then as far as the, the main composition and everything, that was all composed by Matt Kern, who is a great and celebrated game audio engineer and musician. And uh, I, th I think Matt did a great job of just adding a lot of texture and flavor to the game where you do get, you know, there, there are definitely some sci-fi heroic space movie themes and quirky themes. And he had a, he, I shouldn't say had because he still has, but he has, has a difficult job of, you know, like now I need to make something about ice cream now. What? You know, and then I've got to make something about enemy UFOs and flying vehicles and tank battles. And I think one thing I know Dennis insisted on was realism for the tank battles. And I think he really accomplished that. It's very gratifying when you start um, landing shots on the enemy tank and it starts exploding and you feel the whole cabinet vibrate. And uh, it, it's really satisfying. Okay, so how did everyone feel about the, the reveal at Texas Pinball Festival? What kind of feedback did you get when that came out? And you had, you had a tank, you had an actual tank, the motorized tank by remote control. I was there at the seminar. It came in through the uh, seminar room. Well, people were chasing the tank around. You know, I mean, people, people were following Ryan McQuaid's tank. You know, Ryan, Ryan built the tank and was just driving it around. And people were just, oh, the tank is over here now. Oh, the tank is over here now. Let's open it up and play. Oh, let's move it down a few a few feet over here, over this corner. And the tank's now over here. It was great for, for publicity and photo ops and all that. So, I mean, I, I think it was great. I think people enjoyed the, the innovative way of revealing the tank game. Yeah, let's roll the tank. Why wouldn't you roll a tank? It's, it's, a, it's a giant toy that you really want for your home. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Ryan was the genius that figured out a way to make the tank actually drive. I know people saw it and they were like, wow. Is that, is that going to be the super-duper Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd be willing to sell it for the right price. 
So when it's revealed at Texas Pinball Festival, how, how did it feel seeing it out there, everyone playing it? What, what kind of feedback were you getting on the game? Well, that's the whole reason we all do it, right, is to see people have fun playing it. So it was, uh, it was exciting for all of us. Some of us uh, do what we do so that we can hear Canada shit all over it. But uh, <laughs> 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 you're Ron Sai. I love it. Who? Who? Yeah. I also have a, a question. I have a little note here. Lunch boxes. <laughs> there's supposed to be lunch boxes isn't there at some point there is there will be yeah the the lunch box i can be blamed for that but the concept behind that was you know through my conversations with with dennis and how we both have a love for this old space stuff and all that you know a lot of these books include like when flash gordon was a you know popular tv show in the 50s they sold ray guns and helmets and all of this cool shit you know, to support the, uh, to support the show. And I thought, well, since this is a generic, you know, theme, wouldn't it be interesting to create a background for this that never existed? So I did a lot of supporting graphics that were, they weren't used on the game or anything, but like in, you know, advertising banners and things like that, where I had made toy guns with the Galactic Tank Force logo on it, trading cards, action figures, all this different stuff. And it kind of gives it, it, actually a couple of people actually thought like, you know, when was this on TV? Because I've never heard of it before. Um, you know, it, it never was, but I thought that would be fun. And when I was talking to uh, David Fix about what could be done to, you know, what, what could you get with uh, the collector's edition or the, you know, whatever they're calling it, the, the, the top line version. The first thing I thought of was a lunchbox. You know, I said, well, you can take all your plastics and all your extra parts and stuff like that that you get, put it in the lunchbox, put the lunchbox in the cabinet, and that would be really fun. You know, it'd be, it'd be a cool thing that you could, you know, put in your game room or something like that. So, you know, if, if anybody thinks that's a moronic idea, you can blame me for that. <laughs> oh, I like it. Actually, I said a lot of people, they saw the lunchbox, like, I want a lunchbox. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing about the lunchbox, though. I know a place, because I used to make lunchboxes. I would order them blank, and I would put these stickers on them and make all kinds of goofy lunchboxes. So I told David Fix about this. Uh, he goes to order the lunchboxes, and the company's like, oh, well, there was a major mistake. We don't have any of those in stock. Uh, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. You know, Every two weeks, I think, David calls them, and they're still waiting for the stock to come in. So that's what's delayed the lunchboxes. We only, I, I've got a box of, I think, 12 of them in my basement that I'm bringing over uh, just to get started but uh, we're still waiting for the stock to come in so that that's been the delay on that so good old supply issues once again as usual yeah but who would have thought it would have been the lunch box <laughs> yes yes we can make the games but we can't make the lunch boxes yeah so but they will be available both if you buy the collector's version or there's a i think a non-thermos version that you can get uh, in the uh the American Pinball Gift Shop on their website when, when those are ready to go. So you're here to hear, folks. The lunchboxes will be there eventually. They are coming. I think along with the lunchboxes, you know, you were asking what our what the experience was like for team members at, at the Texas show. When I was there, I was just 
overwhelmed and so <laughs> just knocked out by uh, the work that Chris did on the surrounding banners for our booth and everything. Seeing things like I had seen some digital files, but seeing them on the show floor in scale uh, was just phenomenal with a super evil version of Empress Anoya and a super heroic Captain Cayenne. And everybody approaching our booth knew what you, you just knew right then what the vibe was. And uh, it all comes together in a lunchbox, you know, and, and there's <laughs> so much demand for those too. That that's for sure. All right. You know, we're, we're missing Dave Fix here from this for, for the, the full all out sales pitch. That's right, baby. That's right, baby. That's right, baby. The American dream of American pinball. He's not here, baby. He is not here. <laughs> he is not here to tell us where we can get this game and when they're available, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Ah, that's why he didn't show up. But then he, he he wasn't here to interrupt you. He wasn't. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or to defend himself against those kind of comments. No, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> Yeah, so that this is available now, I believe, correct? Yes. So what what models are there? Just for those who are out there, it was like, you know, I want I want one of these these Galactic Tank Force pinball machines. What are my choices? There's the I think it's the LE, which is the tank cabinet. Then there's the the deluxe, which is no tank cabinet, and then I think there's going to be a signature edition. Yeah, there's a signature edition of, um, I think it's 200 games. Yeah, I think it's 200. Comes with a bunch of extra stuff, and it comes with a special apron that's been signed by the entire team. It has a cool hologram. Yeah, it comes with a 3D back glass. Yeah, yeah. Well, the 3D back glass, we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, where'd you find a vendor to do that? The lenticular's still around. Yeah, Fix, fix worked that out, but uh, when they asked me for the... I had to break the artwork into three-dimensional layers. Like, we're, we're, yes, what do you do. want in the front? What do you want in the back? 108 different layers. Yes. And that was a whole lot of fun. But it looks really cool. It looks really oh, sure fun. I, I was so excited. The first time I saw that was at Texas. And, um, yeah, that is, that's really cool. That's some, between that and the, the cabinet, like I'm getting one of those collector's edition ones. And I just can't wait to have this thing. I just had a thought that Steve mentioned there, there's a feature called Meltdown, and uh, I just realized that gives a whole new meaning to a game about ice cream. See? It's also, it's also the feature that we hope that the players who are just walking up to the game accidentally start, because that's, it's, it's made that way. It's just you hit the bumpers enough until it starts. What could be easier? You know, hit something you really want to hit because it's exciting, hit it more, and you'll get a multiball. All right. Yes, I had fun. Hopefully I've earned your extra dollar. <laughs> there you go, right? So something, something, oh, wait, uh, the second ball has come on. Oh, oh, wow, Some I, I've not played pinball before. Now I've got two of these balls running around here. Let me find out how I did that. Oh, wait, I can use both of these balls to attack this tank that's been threatening me? Yes, you can. <laughs> right. So let's turn the tables on, on Anoya's army. Well, I do like that you actually have different modes too, like utter madness and that kind of stuff. It's just you know, it's it's good. Utter clean. madness. Yeah, utter yeah, I love madness. that. I know exactly. It's yes. like, what the so you know, it's just that's where it really fits in fun. 
as you said, you know, as Dennis said before, you know, some of the games you walk up to, you don't know what the hell you're doing. The lights flash for your game. You know where to shoot. You know what you're going for. And the video helps you out. That's, that's all you ask for. So I, I have a question for Dennis. Has Brian Eddie contacted you at some point because he's mad you're stealing his gimmick with the cows? <laughs> cows and ufos have been around since before i was born probably <laughs> yes all right well i'm i think i'm all set you I'm all, all set, set Bruce? Too. thank you very much guys for everything congratulations guys honestly oh, i'm gonna you. clap that right now because you guys made a great game thank, thank you. you we want you to be happy and finish the game and go get an ice cream cone. I mean, celebrate it, have fun. And that's one thing I think I've enjoyed seeing people from around the world have started taking pictures of themselves with the game, eating ice cream and it's, and it's fun. And that's what it should be. And I just want to say, I did enjoy the ice cream at the seminar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. You're welcome. That was my idea. So I, I do I, look we, at stuff like that. When free pizza, free ice cream, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> how do we, how do you finish that without free ice cream? Come exactly. On. <laughs> so everyone go out there, eat some ice cream and play some galactic tank force at a location near you. And pretty soon you can pack your lunch for work in a fine, attractive Galactic Tank Force lunchbox. I cannot wait. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody, from American Pinball. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And thanks, Paul. He dropped off, unfortunately. I think he had some technical issues. He dropped <laughs> off early. Paul had to drop because a thunderstorm came through his area. Oh, about six o'clock, and he lost power, and his no. cell phone finally died. Oh, that sucks. Oh. Well, thank you, Ron and Bruce. This was a, a real pleasure. And, and uh, guys, everybody on the call, it was great to hear everybody on the same call. This was awesome. And now we can make fun of Dave for about this now, too. I love this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on. That was really good. I enjoyed it very much. Yes. You know, Bruce, we're going to take some heat. Oh, of course we will. You guys didn't ask the hard questions. You guys, like, well, I asked him about you issues. Kissed, you, I asked him about issues. Yeah. You, you kissed their asses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. We can't win. No, you don't. You can't. So guess what? So, so for, those who, it, it, for those who got good memories... If you remember, somewhere in February, I think, or March, we were saying how we were going to do a, a special episode, something that was new for yes. us. That was this. That was this. It took us this it, long it to get everyone together. It just took us this long to get everyone together, folks. Yes. So. yes. Hey, at least they talked about us this weekend on a pinball podcast stream. Right. I mean, on, a, on, a, on a stream for Twitch. On a stream for Twitch. Oh. What are, you, what are you talking about, Bruce? Oh, oh that's right. It, it, we're, this is now the uh, Silverball Chronicles, right, Joe? Uh oh! I didn't. I didn't plug them. No, but I mean, oh, I did plug them, or did I? But Dave Fix plugged us. Yes, he he did. So yeah, so Dave Fix and Steve Bowden were announcing the classics finals, and I actually I watched it back to see the whole ruling thing that happened, which we'll talk about in another episode. But yes. Dave Fix was like, I'm sure Rob will be talking about it on the next episode of Silverball Chronicles. Like, oh. Fail, fail, Dave. fail, Dave. That's right, baby. I got totally confused about which, which <laughs> podcast with which baby. I was only there for 35 hours this weekend. It wasn't like, I, you know, he didn't see me at all. 
<laughs> yes, Bruce continued his retirement by playing well once again. Yes, I did. I was going to suggest to myself to retire, but I, I, <laughs> and then you played but, really but then, well. But then, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that we'll later. Talk about but it next but time. let's just say, yeah, next time. Which Ronnie was in the money. I was in the money, and let's just he say I wasn't doing well, and so I went over and played one of the non-tournament games, a game called Dialed In. Mm, and within two yeah. games, I was just so happy. I felt so good. I just went back over to the tournament area and just killed it. Dead. Silence. Okay, Bruce. That's how you end the show. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a name, Bruce, at all? I'm going to look up right now. I was okay, just waiting well, for you to... Why he's looking up, we are the Slam Tilt Podcast. Are we? Oh, I thought this was, this was Soberball Chronicles. Hi, my name's Dave. <laughs> it's David. It's David, David. Dennis on Silverball Chronicles, which you can listen to on the Pinball Network, and we will be recording our new episode soon, Bruce. Hi, my name's David. Uh, okay. <laughs> very, very nice, Bruce. Very classy. Hey, at least I'm saving the Earth by buying buying my carbon offset. Buying so you just car- he's just doing American things. Oh, there. He's, oh. He's, he's doing American things by buying his way out of being. No one knows what you're talking about, Bruce. He posted it on your page, so don't even go there. Uh, still, no one knows what you're talking about. Well, then explain it to Not him. everyone looks at our page, Bruce. Oh, well. As we have found out, because cause we have a long waiting list for a stop now. At yes, this we point. do. Well, it's filled now. We have our 40 players. They're all posted on the Facebook page. And we have eight backups. <laughs> wow. Ron, you want to go to 48? Uh, I'd I really like... To not 40. have people on the wait list. But man, when we did 48, it was so... It was so busy. It was so crap. People were uncomfortable. I know. And I, I, I don't want people to be uncomfortable. No, of course not. Unless we put them like in... Uh, unless, uh, you know, we make people feel uncomfortable on the podcast. That's fine. We can do both. Yes. <laughs> we'll work on Ron. If you feel like you want to make it 48, you bust Ron's balls this past couple of next weeks on, on the emails and, and posts and everything like that. Uh, emails, yes, which you can email us at slamtillpodcast at gmail.com. That's slamtillpodcast at gmail.com. gmail.com. Shut up. <laughs> Check out our website, www.slamtillpodcast.com. All our links are in the upper right-hand corner. And you know, Bruce, I just found out something. <gasps> what did you find out? Do you realize the pinball at the lake or pinball at the whatever it's called is going to be the same weekend as Stomp? It's it's a thing that's in California, so it it really doesn't affect our player base. Not at all. But it's probably going to be streamed by IE Pinball, which means no one's going to watch our stream. Yeah, they will. They'll watch ours in the beginning until like 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. Then they'll jump over. So let let us know, folks. Uh, let us know if it's worth it for us to stream at all, or we everyone should just... loves the golden stream. Uh, and you're not playing. Oh, well, no, people are going to want you to play if you don't stream. People, so you have to look at it that stream. way. No, no, I'll, I'll just tech. Oh God! What? I did enough of that this weekend. Oh, uh, you had fun. You know I did. You mm-hmm. saw me. Yeah. We kept everything running. You'll find out all about in our next exciting episode. Yes. Yeah, so stay tuned. Uh, yeah. So, uh, thanks to everyone in the cluster, Buck, etc. Everyone. Thanks, Steve. Steve Fumbos, who we just talked to. <laughs> yes. Hi, Zach. Hi, Zach. Pinball princess, etc., etc. Yes. Uh, do you have a name, Mr. Bruce? Pin- I do have a name. And I had something else I wanted to mention, and I completely forgot it. What would that be? I don't know. I'm like old. You are old. You're getting, and I got older. Oh yeah. This past you, week. Yes. 
Well, why were you in a positive note? Bruce, you had your normal examination. How did, how yes. did it go? Did, no well, polyps, the doctor shoved a no whole polyps. hand up my ass. Yeah, and... you're okay? <laughs> no, not that examination. Oh, but... damn. Sorry. Yes, I am now cancer-free. Well, 25 and a half years. Uh, I had my yearly checkup. Everything was good. I'll see him next August. So wait a minute. Are you getting to the point where you may have been longer? Yeah, no, exactly. It, well, let's say it this way. 26 years ago on my birthday, I found I had cancer. Ugh. <laughs> That's why I hate my birthday. I closed my bar on my birthday. So it's like not really a fun day for me. Birthdays are just birthdays. Now I'm 52. So 26 years, I was cancer-free. I had cancer for six, seven months, and then cancer-free. So it's a nice split in between. Mm. Wow, you're a full two years older than me. Well, you know, and two years smarter, easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh, I sense. I'm so pissed I can't remember what the hell I was going to say. Because you're old. I am old. I, is, it, is it, am I a little, uh, let's see, repairs, ball, back plugs? No, you're it's not You're getting a countdown in a couple weeks. Yes, countdown. And it's mine to borrow. Borrow, yes, borrow. Unless you want to give me your Quicksilver on the way back, and I'll take that home with me. No. No. I like that Quicksilver. I had it for a while. Mm, I like Quicksilver. Mm. Quicksilver's cool. It is. Okay, we're killing time here. It's like really yes, late. Bruce is liable to just fall asleep. You didn't yawn. I didn't yawn once. And oh, you were on mute the whole time, though. Yes, I was on mute a lot. But guess what? It's 9.38. I have to be up in five hours. Yeah, Bruce gets up late. He leaves for work at 4 a.m. Yes, I do. Well, here, you here heard we go. me probably. Uh, before you do your outro, I'll do one final little funny. So so I, I slept over at Bruce's house yep. Sunday night after the whole Buffalo thing. <laughs> and I know where he's going with this. And so I get up at like 8. Well, first you probably laughed at me when I went to bed at 7.30. Well, yeah, you, yeah, I did. But <laughs> but like I I get up at like 8. And I'm like being super quiet. Like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna kind of leave. And I know Bruce isn't there, but I figure Kathy's there somewhere. I'm like tiptoeing around, not making any noise, all that. I'm carefully opening up the door, and then there's no cars in the driveway other than mine. Like, <laughs> god damn it! What the hell did I do that for? Oh, I felt like an idiot. Oh, it's just it was so great. Yeah, I saw you leave on the ring. You saw me leave on the ring. Yeah, the ring camera we have on oh, the top you, of the house. Oh, yeah. You, Bruce has so many cameras. He's like a voyeur. Yes, I am. It's oh. weird. You're probably looking at me right now. No, no, no. Only in the back and the front and the sides. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, until next time, folks. Say goodbye, Bruce. Goodbye, Nicole Turcott. Oh.
Oh.